Hey there, my name is Mark McCartney and welcome to the What is a Good Life podcast. Over the last two years, I've interviewed over 150 people around this question, not to provide you with the universal answer, but to help you to find and define your own answer to this question. On the 33rd episode of the What is a Good Life podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by David Dunn. David describes himself as an alcoholic prison leaver, trying to be the change that he wishes to see in the world. He is the CEO and founder of ReleaseMate CIC, a group that brings positive change to individuals in the immediate aftermath of their release from prison. In this episode, David shares his inspirational story of hitting rock bottom with addiction in prison, to finding the courage to make a change, and ultimately dedicating himself to serving others who are in a similar situation to where he once was. We delve into the roles of spirituality, nature, being of service to others, honesty, and human connection played in this journey. Additionally, we discuss the significance of letting go of control and how this shift transformed his experience of life. If you're currently facing a difficult period in your life and you're struggling to find meaning or purpose, there's a wealth of valuable insights in this conversation. David is incredibly honest and open about how his life turned around, sharing many profound perspectives on life, regardless of where your life is presently at. Look, I found this conversation to be extremely engaging, extremely open, honest and raw at times and with several lessons from it for me to, to take away and contemplate on as well. So I'm sure you're going to take a lot from this conversation. And if you enjoy this episode, please like, share and subscribe. And if you're on the podcasting platforms, please leave a review as I'd greatly appreciate your support at this stage of my podcasting journey. So without further ado, the 33rd episode of the What is a Good Life podcast. David, thank you very much for joining me on the What is a Good Life podcast today. As I just mentioned to you there, I've been checking out the work that you've been doing at Release Mates, and I, and I find it very inspiring. So I'm very grateful to have you here this morning. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having us. Um, it, it's always great to be asked to do stuff like this. So thank you. So David, as I tend to have the habit to ask the question, uh, is there a question you're trying to answer as you're moving through life? The answer now to that is simply no. Um, right. So I'm an alcoholic in recovery, so I class myself as an addict. And I think for me, part of my addiction was that constant yearning for questions to be answered. And there always felt like there was a gap that needed filling, a void that needed filling, because I didn't know the answer to everything. I think addicts, myself included, by the very nature are inquisitive. I want to know the answer to everything. I want to know the meaning of life. I want to know why the trees outside are leaving, we're going in one direction, not the other. And with recovery from addiction came letting go of needing to know all the answers to everything. Letting go of, I think, my recovery is spiritual and once I have that spiritual connection, I can let go and just let things be without, because if I know the answer, if I know the answer to questions, I'm not meant to know the answer of, I'll start to want to change everything and I don't need to do that. So in answer to your question, not anymore, there's not, there's questions I ask myself every day. Like I ask myself, how can I be of service to people every day? How can I be the best possible version of me every day? What can I do? But, but the answer to those 
questions are different on any given day. There is no lifelong learning, yearning, looking for a solution to something now. When you say, uh, David, that your, your recovery or your experiences has been spiritual as well, could you elaborate on that? So I, I follow a 12-step model of recovery, which was first formed by Alcoholics Anonymous back in the 1930s and has been adapted for Narcotics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous. Um, the 12-step program requires a degree of spirituality, not religion. There's, there's a distinct difference between religion and spirituality. And for that program to work for me, I had to have my own concept of a power greater than myself, which was important, I guess, for the, for the humble and requirements of that program. I think the idea being is that I'm not in control of everything. I'm not the boss of the world. Someone else is. So... Once I connect, you know, and it's important for me every day to connect with that higher power of mine. And I don't, I don't have a religious higher power, even though I was brought up into religion. I don't have an aesthetic. It's not something I can see or feel or pick up or touch. I just know that somewhere up there, somewhere there's someone bigger and greater than me who made this makes this wonderful world go round yeah it's um I, I don't know about you but it's an amazing thing to for to disconnect from that and then to reconnect with that like like it's um because i definitely classify my use of alcohol at times as not in control um and i and i do believe just what you said there of ideas of connection or ideas of even connection to the world around you or something bigger than yourself it's really powerful in the in coming to peace with some yearnings within us yeah without without doubt and it i think it's back down to that humility and that that humble requirement of 12-step programs and my connection to to a spirit or to to a higher power I often find it in nature. I often find it when I'll jump in my car and I'll drive to a field in the middle of nowhere or I'll go for a walk up a mountain and I'm I'm taken aback. I'm very humbled. I'm very I'm in awe of what's around me. I'm in awe of you know some someone made that moment of me standing on top of a mountain, looking at water flowing, feeling wind, hearing noises of nature without cars. I'm in awe of that. I'm in awe that, you know, that higher power has, has created that for, for us, not for me, but for us. And I think that's when my connection is, is at its strongest. You know, when I'm, when I'm at one with nature and that peace flows through me, guidance on how how i should live my life comes to me pretty easily in those moments yeah jeez that sounds absolutely beautiful there's um 
I don't know. There's something, there's something to it. Like the things that I think we're missing sometimes in this world or this society or some of the things that we're prioritizing as a society and some of the, I don't know, like the moment you've just described there, I think a lot of people like you can resonate with if you're thinking about moments in your life. And I've, I've definitely had, when I, when I, let's say, wasn't, uh, when I stopped drinking as much and things like this, it, it almost opens up a space where you can, where more of this can come into your life or, or, or even I think like a, a disturbance in your life can create almost like a, a need for a reappraisal of our lives to, to seek kind of more fulfilling connection in, with all that's around us. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? It's very, you know, we are blessed in this world with free things all around us yeah. to fill our time, you know. But we choose as human beings in this day and age to to sit on mobile phones all day or to watch TV or sit on laptops all day. And it it's very strange that the, the, the very core basics of life, we choose to ignore them now, of our own religion. I'm 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 most at peace when I'm just strolling around the countryside and there's nothing to bother me. And that that doesn't cost anyone anything. It's the most basic thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely echo that sentiment. There's um, just something you said there of just if there is a, a question that you're asking yourself, it is how can you be of of service? Uh, could you kind of give me a, a sense of how that, that position for you or, or that, that experience for you in life has evolved? Yeah, again, this is so in my active alcoholism or active addiction i'm not a great fan of labels so addiction alcoholism whatever you want to call it a drink problem whatever but in that past i was a very selfish person selfish the selfish to a point where that i can look at it now and it's actually quite scary how devious and manipulative i I was to get what I wanted without any thought for anyone else around me. So now I live almost a polar opposite way of life. And one of the first things I have to do every day, rather than see what I can do for me, is see what I can do for other people. And, you know, altruism runs through my recovery. It's we could open up a whole new conversation about whether true altruism actually exists because I gain a lot from altruism. So is it actually altruism? Um, Well, that's perhaps another conversation for another day. So by helping others, I'm helping myself. By helping other alcoholics, I'm helping myself. I spend at least one day a week helping my parents who are getting on a bit now and I go and do odd jobs around their house to almost make up a bit for, for the trouble that I've put them through in the past. Um, the Release Mates project, which I run, I relate to prison leavers getting out of prison, not having a chance in life. So I go back to prisons and I try and create those chances. And that's vital to me. That's vital to me. And not only do I seek guidance from a higher power or spirit in the morning, about what to do but when i go to bed at night time i also do a little appraisal of that 
Have I been honest? Have I helped other people? Are there times when someone's asked me to do something and it seemed like a bit of an effort to do it? You know, if someone asked me for a lift to an AA meeting at half eight at night and I want to watch Coronation Street instead. You know, it's little things like that that I, I really need to be honest and, and pretty tough on myself about. Um, but the benefits are, you know, a wonderful life, a wonderful life. And I don't think, I don't think as a human, there's much better feeling than giving someone your own time and support. Do you know, you, you said something there and um, it resonates a lot with me, the sense of honesty and this, and, and holding that quite, uh, I don't know, stringently. I, I, I don't know about you, but I think in in my experience of maybe trying to understand myself better or, you know, as I say, not, uh, not distract myself or numb myself with alcohol, um, that there's a... There's like a, a part of that process where I, I think there's some, there's almost a privilege to it and that you you have to start to examine every like in my once again, from my experience, I had to start examining everything. And the really interesting thing for me was given how much we talk about, like if I call you a liar, for example, right, and just in general converse in anyone in society, people would take a huge offense to that mm. without realizing how frequently we lie. You know, and, you know, the, the example you said there of, of like, you know, even could I, like, would I take, give someone a lift or would I want to watch Coronation Street? Like, I, I think there's always these examples where even if I'd showed up late to meeting someone and I said, oh, I, traffic was a nightmare, but really I just watched something on YouTube. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, I think there's something really interesting about being holding yourself to a high account with your honesty or your words because I, I think that's something that that slips by a lot in in our general kind of way of approaching life the pro that i'm glad you brought that up because that created problems for me so yeah especially so i'm i'm, I'm a couple of years now in, in into recovery and I'm perhaps a bit more loving and caring of myself now than I was at the very beginning, because at the beginning I wanted recovery so much. I was so hard on myself and honesty, open-mindedness was right at the very heart of, of my recovery. So I was able to be honest about the big things. That wasn't a problem, but I would find myself because I'd spent so much time being dishonest, I was programmed to be that way. So my mum, for example, as an example, my mum buys me one or two meals a week or bought me one or two meals a week at the beginning of my recovery. And I would get home that night and she would ask me how the lasagna was that she bought me. Now, for some reason... Because she would be perfectly fine if I was honest and said, I didn't have it. I got a bag of chips on my way home. But for some reason, I felt like I had to placate her and say, oh, it was absolutely delicious. Really, really rich sauce. It was great. 
And I think it's little <laughs> things like that that, and you know, that little white lie, whatever it was, would never ever cause anyone any harm. And like the yeah. example that you just used, like the YouTube video, it 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 doesn't matter, really. It's not going to change the course of life, but it's something I had to work on early on because you know it it demands my my way of life now demands rigorous honesty yeah and i i really like this sentiment though of and from my experience i think it's if you don't look after the little things they become bigger things and you know then one thing leads to you know maybe even you've given one of these white lies that nobody would have cared about like and of course sometimes in life you like you don't go around just if someone says, do you like my, <laughs> do you like my outfit? And we're already out yeah. and you just go, it's absolutely awful. Like, you know, there's some, yeah. <laughs> there's some leeway here for other people's opinions, but I really do think in, in my approach to life anyway, and I, I think you're saying something similar. If you don't look after these little things, well, then maybe you have to say something else. Like, you know, you know, can you come to the, uh, can you come out this weekend? No, I've got this on. And then you meet the person again. And then you have to pretend that you were somewhere, you, you know, and, and all of a sudden, I think, because so much I think of this is just about like some degree of self-acceptance, right, or, or peace with ourselves. And, and I think the more we kind of just drift away from the truth, the more of a rift, I think we kind of, like, I kind of think sometimes to myself with the, with, if I wasn't being honest, that I'm kind of telling myself that I'm not all right in the situation. Yeah, and you know, I've learned, I've learned recently that if someone asks me a question, I'm not obliged to answer it. I don't have to give an yeah. answer all the time. You know, going back to the lasagna scenario, and it might be quite bizarre in that scenario, but if my mum says, how was your lasagna? I can say I'd prefer not to answer that question, which is quite strange over, yeah. over a bite to eat. But <laughs> and you know, and I think sometimes, sometimes it's okay just to say I prefer not to answer that question, or we might have differing views on that, or you know, I, I don't have to give reasons. I don't, I don't feel like I have to justify myself as much anymore. Whereas when I first came into recovery, because I'd been such a bad person, I felt like I had to. Felt I had a duty to explain myself and my actions to everyone, and I don't anymore. How do you? Um, what would you say was a, a turning point for you then? Like in in your, you know, not even before then, focusing on helping other people and and trying to be of service to other people, and even being of service to your parents. What what, what kind of helped you through the to turn a corner? Shall we say? I mean, the term rock bottom is is used quite frequently in in addiction and recovery circles and i i tried recall i tried to stop drinking and using drugs and everything before and not understood what rock bottom meant i think that there's a lot of these phrases that are banged around the walls of different fellowships that lose meaning over time because they're used so often um I got sent to, I was sentenced to a term of imprisonment in 2020 and was it 2021 maybe? Um, 
I landed in prison. Now I was drunk when I got to prison. Then they put right. me on a, a Librium detox for 10 days. So I didn't really feel anything for about 10 days, two weeks while I was detoxing. I then had a period of a month, which I can maybe look back now and think that was my rock bottom. And it was a month where I was empty inside, like I'd never, ever felt before. I didn't, I didn't understand why I was on this planet. I didn't understand how I could escape from being the person I was to try to be the person I could be. And this, this was the, the remorse, shame and guilt that I felt was, was unbearable. And this continued for a month and it went on and on and on. And it was, it was almost torture. At times I felt for my sanity. I was wondering if I was, because my head wasn't stopping, I was wondering if mentally, you know, I, I was struggling a bit. That was the time when I knew everything had to change. I couldn't just take one or two little things, everything, my entire outlook on life had to change. And that's, Fortunately, that's what's happened. Wow. Jeez, that's, um, what a, that sounds like an intense experience to be in that scenario, like with, with all that, like running through your head and the, the feeling of emptiness, like that sounds like a, that sounds like a really intense experience to have, to have come through. Like it was. It was, you see, we normally associate intense with being over a short period of time. It was very intense for, for at least a month and it, it was unrelenting. It was, it was, it wouldn't leave me. And, you know, I was in prison. There isn't, I'm not going to go into an argument about how much help there is or isn't in prisons, but there wasn't a lot of help for me with that at that time. And when I came out of that stage, I only came out of that stage when I was taken onto the drug and alcohol recovery wing of the prison. And I remember walking over to that wing from the main population. And that's when it hit me like a thunderbolt. This is my opportunity. This is my opportunity to not just stop drinking and using drugs. This is my opportunity for huge wholesale change. You know, change how I live, change, going back to altru- altruism, help other people, going back to losing my the obsession I had with money and fast cars and material things in life. And that's where that journey began on that wing. And... It was odd. It was a really strange time for me because I went, I'd only been to prison a couple of times. Most people in prison have spent a lot of time in prison compared to me. And I went on to that drug and alcohol recovery wing and it was the first time I can really remember praying for courage and praying (laughs) for, you know, because I landed there and I spoke to the staff. And I said, 
I'd like to be a mentor on this wing. I'd like to help other people on this wing. And that, I look back at the time, it didn't seem massive, but I look back on it now, and that was the start of something that is now pretty big. <laughs> That's a, do you, I know you're saying you're almost praying to God for courage, like, it, what's a, like when you look back on that what a because that sounds hugely courageous like to just to go from that you know when you're talking about this intensity of experience for a month to go onto this other wing of the prison to get involved with this group and then to not only just handle your own um experience but then to want to help others is there is there something that you could almost Put your finger on that that allowed you to do it or or, or were you did you feel like you're being guided or, or how would you even describe it like in my mind the worse you feel the bigger the change has to be to make you feel better yeah. so in my mind i was telling myself this is the worst i remember feeling internally in my entire life the big the check going to the drug and alcohol recovery wing isn't enough think is there anything more you can do than just sit there on that wing and the next thing that came to me was right you've done a bit of recovery before you know there are mentor mentor positions available go that one step further go the whole hog don't don't just dip your toe in the water fully submerse yourself in this and get as much of it as you possibly can and that's what i did and you know it, it did take a bit of courage but that that courage came from above it was nothing i'm not a courageous person by nature and it just happened and within a week or so of doing it i was trying to i was it was quite bizarre because the drug and alcohol team who ran the wing as i arrived on the wing they were leaving the wing to go on a two-week training course so i arrived on the wing got given this job as a mentor on the wing and then was left to run groups on this wing that the drug and alcohol team would have normally done and i was sat there one morning and in a group and i was trying to explain to a group of lads how the the experience we've just talked about the emptiness the the vacant feeling inside that rock bottom feeling. And I said out loud to a group of prisoners, I just don't know my purpose on this planet anymore. And one of the lads, a young lad, he was only, he was certainly younger than 25, didn't seem to know a lot about recovery, didn't seem to be into what we were trying to promote on that wing. But he just turned around and he said, but this is it, Dave this is what you're good at this is what you should be doing i'm two years on now and i'm sure i'll remember it for a long time to come that sticks with me that sticks with me and that that's how life's gone since since prison can you recall how you felt in that moment so because i was running the group at the time i kind of like stored it in my mind and put it on a shelf yeah. And then I went back to my cell afterwards, took it off the shelf, and I remember thinking, what if he's right? What, what if I'm actually good at this? 
And then I started having that argument with myself with, no, I'm not good at anything. Because <laughs> at this point, yeah. my self-esteem was still quite low. Um, but I've clung on to what, to what that lad said. And it's amazing along the journey, isn't it, how so many things happen, but you can pinpoint certain little events or certain things people have said that have changed the course of my life. Yeah, it's, uh, it's stunning. And I, and I think sometimes in, um, in those moments where our self-worth isn't as strong um, or isn't as, uh, isn't maybe in the healthiest position in terms of how we think of ourselves, you know, just somebody reflecting something back to us can be, you know, as much as some of this stuff can be an inner journey and you're, um, you know, whatever, like in terms of that relationship between, you know, higher power or your own personal autonomy and choice as well. Um, but sometimes we just, we just need other people to reflect something back to us because we can't see it. I remember when I met my wife when I was in India and I was doing different things like meditation there and, all, you know, and I was, I've gone on a, a journey as well, like in terms of I'd given up booze the year before and I'd been reconnecting with ideas around a higher power or spirituality or connection and things like this. And I remember telling her why I was there and my behavior before and not, not sugarcoating or hiding. And, areas which I thought that I could definitely do better on in my life and just for someone to smile at you and say you're all right <laughs> generally or even just for this person to say like you're frustrated what's my purpose and it's like David you're, you're doing it like you know like yeah, they're, they're yeah. Pretty, pretty profound moments like yeah and I think you know sometimes when you come into recovery after addiction you can be pretty hard on yourself, especially when, you know, if you're following, say, the 12-step model, when you have to go through your demons, you have to make amends and apologize to people who you've hurt. You can be pretty tough on yourself. And you, yeah. generally, we don't. I think generally in life, even if you take recovery out of the equation, I think generally people in life can be tough on themselves and not not give themselves the pat on the back, the appraisal, the affirmations that, that, that they should be doing. And I'm very much like that. There's, you know, I, I'm, I'm always looking when we support a prison leaver, could we have done more? Is there something we could have done more? And sometimes the answer is just no. And sometimes I need someone to reaffirm to me, you know what, you've done everything you can. And what you've done is actually really good. You should be proud of yourself because I don't like feeling proud of myself. I don't like positive affirmations. I struggle with it. Which is, a, you, you know, I think there's something, I think there's a real nice point in all our, in all our kind of individual journeys as well, where we can get to the point of even, I don't know, even, even understanding some of the places or the, some of the times in, in our life, like when we start to unpack it or unravel some of the, the things that went into the build-up to certain moments in life where we can kind of, if it was somebody else and we were hearing somebody else's story, that we could just kind of go, ah, like, 
you know, I don't think anyone gets up in the morning and goes, what I'd like to do is I'd like to burn some bridges and I'd like to, you know, I'd like to make a mess out, like I'd like, a, like to make a mess out of a situation that maybe has order in it. Like, I, I don't, I'm not trying to ab- absolve and abdicate everyone of their responsibility in life, but I just don't really see that as how people are approaching life. I, I, I think there's a lot more... I don't know, pain in this life. That, and it's wonderful too. You know, you've mentioned about being on top of a mountain, looking around the awe and, the, and being connected with things, feeling the wind in your face. Stunningly beautiful moments in life too. But there's also pain and suffering, right? And I, I don't know, like I, I think I think if we were all a little bit more honest about what the human experience is like, we could start to understand why people do some of the things that we think are incomprehensible. Yeah, and I think... This is back to humans interfering with life, isn't it? <laughs> I think, you know, the one thing I've learned is that is the more I let go of my life, the world around me, the better it seems to be. If I try to control everything to my own little schemes, it normally ends up being a mess. You know, and like you say, you know, bad things happen. Bad things happen in this world. It's part of life. But I think the important part of, you know, I've suffered tragedies in recovery. And, you know, I've had familial deaths in my family and stuff. But it's how how we respond to that. How, you know, I pray a little bit more, I meditate a little bit more, I spend a bit more time on top of the mountain, reconnecting with with the world. And then there comes a general acceptance that life isn't always, no, just because I stopped drinking, life isn't always going to be brilliant. Yeah. You know, and it's dealing with life's complexities, isn't it? You know, I... Uh... I, I love this because I even see there's like uh, sometimes when people you see them post things on social media that it's almost like when they give up anything and it could even be, you know, it could even be use of their phones for periods of time. So I'm not even saying it's all in in in, in experiences where things have got um, there's major, major pain points. But I mean, like that there's almost this kind of idea that as soon as you just let go of or uh, remove something from your life, that it all like, that it all of a sudden becomes rainbows and buttercups and it, like, you still have to live a, a human existence, which, <laughs> which won't always, which won't always be the easiest. But I, I love this idea of, of letting go. Like how, how would you kind of describe like that process for you and that, that sense of, I don't know, like a, how you got to a point where you could feel like you could not want to control so much. I think you did, that's the key. The, the the last part of that question, you've just put there, not control so much because I was so desperate for recovery. I overanalyzed everything at the beginning. I made something <laughs> which is so very simple. I complicated it beyond belief. Um, the fact is, we as human beings have to make our own decisions, okay? So, if I want a cup of tea, I'm not going to ask a higher power or a spirit 
if I can have a cup of tea or if I should have a cup of tea or not. So we have our own free will where we're free to do the good thing, you know, the normal things that we do. What I looked, what I needed to change was what I call self-will. And my own self-will is, I associate with being my scheming, my manipulation, my, you know, the, the concept of trying to change the world to suit me and my ideals. The concept of trying to change other people to fit in with what I wanted or how I thought life should be. When I let go of that, and I started seeing the results for letting go of it, I learned that I'm not very good at controlling life. I'm not even good at controlling my own life. So I really shouldn't be controlling other people's life. And the freedom that came with that was immense. You know, that, and that's a beautiful thing to me. To, it, to me, it, it all stems from fear. I wanted to control things because I was fearful of outcomes if I didn't control them. Whereas now I've replaced the fear that I once felt with faith and spirituality. So I don't have to control the outcomes anymore because I have that faith instead. So I don't have to be that controlling person. That's beautifully put. And I, and I think there's, there's something to it where I think you hit the nail on the head. I think so much of our actions are driven by this sense of fear and it's like the fear and the uncertainty of life, the unknown that we're, that we're constantly engaging in and sometimes trying to ensure ourselves against, but it's kind of a, I think it's a bit of a losing battle. Even if your life looks pretty good on the surface, like in, in whatever you're doing, um, if that is the, if that is underpinning your existence, I think you can still be living quite a, even in air quotes, materially successful life. But if that's underpinning your life, I think that's kind of a big contribution to so much of even the anxiety or the, the tension or the stress that we sometimes see in life. Yeah, and I, it's starting to live that material life is a very dangerous place to be, isn't it? Because when you start, you're in a constant battle to improve, improve, improve all the time. And I've been there, I've done it, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, I had successful business. I had a big fast car and celebrity friends and everything like that. But it doesn't give me genuine happiness. It doesn't, it doesn't give me the deep happiness. And the problem with it is, I'm always searching for a faster car. I'm always searching for a bigger house. I'm always trying to keep up with people around me who are getting better things. Whereas now I don't judge success at life by what car you drive, what house you live in, how many holidays a year you have. My, the way I view success is, is contentment. If I can wake up in the morning content, if I can go to bed content, and if I can help people through that day, my life's 
bloody amazing and that's enough for me you know I, you said some yeah you said something earlier just in terms of dropping the obsession for possessions that I, I, so much of what you're saying echoes with my my experience of life in terms of you know like i'd stepped away from a career in finance and and stepping into what i'm doing at the moment and there's something about i don't know there's some fundamental things i think you're touching on like that and not to say i'm too cliche cliche or something like the best things in life are free but you know the idea of you walking in the countryside doesn't cost you anything and me going for a walk in in the woods or the forest with my dog doesn't cost me anything but i'd struggle to name certain things that make me feel much better in my day it's like it's kind of like we kind of get so caught up in the idea of what our life looks like we stop paying attention to how our life actually makes us feel so we're almost more attached to the perception of our life than we are the experience of our life yeah and social media has had a massive impact on that hasn't it because everything is everyone's life is now online and people try to to give this perception and i think what you've hit on there is is so true and will be probably beyond my lifetime a very big problem for the world because perception is becoming more important than reality <laughs> and when we as a society lose that we're in trouble you know photographs of events are becoming more important than the actual events themselves. You know, getting a, getting a selfie, at a family meal or a, a graduation or something like that is becoming more important than the actual graduation itself, which is not, for me, it's not a great place for the world to be moving towards. And you mentioned, you know, walking the dog in the woods and stuff like that that losing materialism i drive a 19 year old renault clio and i have never been so emotionally attached to a car in my entire life <laughs> and you know the great thing about it is the great thing about because he's an old car i can I love that it. it's a he <laughs> yeah oh yeah Cl clive the clio um, <laughs> So, and again, you know, I, I, have, I have an old car that's done an awful lot of miles, but I've learned how to fix that car. And again, the, the, feeling, the re feeling of reward I get when I fix any problem that he has, you know, that's way more than having a brand new Mercedes or Jaguar or whatever up my drive. The fact that yeah. he's still running at the age of 18 or 19 is a miracle to me. <laughs> Aside though from uh, helping Clive the, the Cleo, um, if we could bounce even back to just how things evolved for you from the point of this younger, uh, younger fellow in prison saying you're doing your, your purpose. How, how would you say, how did things kind of, kind of come, in, come into be uh, after after that moment. So after that moment, that what he said in that room at that time gave me a little bit of confidence, and it gave me food for thought. That you know what, I might 
I might be okay at helping people. I might be able to help people. And then the staff on the drug and alcohol wing started giving me more responsibility. The prison officers on the wing started giving me a lot more responsibility. And all of a sudden, I became confident in my ability to have a positive impact on people's lives. And in my mind, you can have whatever degree you like, you can have whatever qualifications you want. There's nothing better than being able to bring positivity into someone's life, to be able to bring hope, into, to give hope to the hopeless is, is an amazing thing. So I got out of prison and I didn't plan, I didn't make any plans. Going back to that letting go of life, I kind of like got out of prison and thought, all I'm going to do is not drink and I'm just going to see where life takes me. And the drug and alcohol service that I was engaged with asked me to go and do some decorating in one of the outbuildings of the same prison once I'd been released. I went back and I started painting there and I noticed that lads were being released from the prison and they were coming straight to me once they'd been released to ask for help. Even yeah. though there were other drug and alcohol services or prison staff there, people who didn't know me were coming straight to me to ask for help. And I started to explore that. Why, why, why were they coming to me for help? And I think there's like an indescribable bond between people who are caught up in the criminal justice system and also people, people in addiction, whereby you can recognize someone. And I set up a little project, at, which was only ever meant to be a little project, which we call Release Mates. And I recruited a group of prison leavers in a similar position to myself. And the purpose of the project will be to meet other prison leavers on the day they get released try and help them with practical things such as a bit of food, clothes, helping them get mobile phones, setting up universal credit claims and stuff like that. But in the time that we were doing this, we wanted to offer a bit of faith and hope and support from our own lived experience that, you know what, you can stay out of prison. Um, and going back to what that young lad said on that recovery wing that day, here I am 18 months later and release mates has grown beyond belief. You know, what started off as a little group is now an award-winning social enterprise that I never thought would happen. And it's so far, it's been, you know, we're still at the very beginning, but it's been a wonderful journey. And Whilst many things have happened and it's amazing winning awards, it's amazing getting the accolades that we get and doing, you know, being invited on things like this by yourself. There's no better feeling than your head hitting the pillow at night, knowing that you've supported a prison leaver. You've got them a roof over their head for the night. They've got food, they've got clothes. And you might just have been the catalyst in a great improve there's no better feeling than that money cannot buy that feeling so that's what yeah. that young lad said that day has has brought about 
That's uh, that's incredible. There's uh, I think there's a quote by Henry David Thoreau that says something like to have helped one life breathe easier is is success or something to that effect. And so I can only imagine the satisfaction you're experiencing each night going to going to bed, knowing that your group may have altered the future direction of someone's life in a, in a positive direction. Just intrigued. I, I know what you're saying about the the sense of um, even the logistics of what you're providing someone, you know, um, with getting a roof over their head and things like that. What, what do you think is, what would you attribute the success of these interactions to, like of someone being there when someone comes out from prison straight away? Like what, what, what else do you think you're, you're, you're offering them in, in that moment, aside from even just the, you know, the very helpful logistics of navigating the world again? It's back, I think we've already touched on it earlier. It, honesty. Prison leavers trust us because yeah. being in prison, we know what they're feeling and they know we're not going to lie to them because back to that bond. The problem with the criminal justice system is there are so many lies in it. You know, you're in prison, you're getting told that you've got accommodation sorted for when you get out and you haven't. You're told that you got you've you've got someone coming to visit you. You haven't. You know, there's that many lies and 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 defects that run throughout prison life and probation life. When I started release mates, we were going to be that bit of fresh air that we're always going to be dependable. You know, we were we were we were going to be honest with everyone, even if it meant telling people things that they didn't want to hear we were going to be honest. And I think, you know, lived experience is a term that I'm not, I'm not great with. I don't particularly like the label. We could have a whole new conversation about that. But I think the fact that we share experiences with other people, they trust us. It's that simple. It's, you know, it's automatic trust. I, I saw you, um, I saw you, talk to uh, or describe um, release mates to, to somebody else and you were just talking about the significance of that, that period when they come out and just for them to have another person to have a breakfast and a coffee with like just that human connection straight out of it you you were describing kind of as it, it having a, a huge effect and uh, could you kind of uh, elaborate on that because it sounds really like a profoundly important experience for that interaction to occur yeah, so it's it's a very important time, that moment from passing from custody into freedom is, is a very important time. And there's absolutely no way of explaining it to someone unless they've been in prison. Because when you go to prison, irrespective of whether you're there for a week or 10 years or 20 years, the very first thing you think about when you arrive at prison is being released from prison. So all you're thinking about the entire time you're there is when you get out. You build up expectations of what life is going to be like when those gates open. I'm as guilty as the next prison leaver as thinking there's going to be this big fanfare of people and everyone's got all these TikTok videos that you see of people with champagne and everything. I, 
I've helped over 120 people getting out of prison and I've never seen a bottle of champagne once. And I've never, <laughs> very rarely do we see family members waiting for people. So people are excited to be getting out. They're looking forward to, to freedom, but at the same time, there is anxiety and a, and a huge fear about the unknown, like we've already touched upon, you know, and the reality of leaving prison is that prison gates open and the whole world has just been getting on with what it does and isn't really bothered that you've just got out of prison for something that you shouldn't really have done. So the immediate feeling is one of deflation. That deflation coupled with the anxiety can lead a lot of people back to the addictions which took them to prison in the first place. So the whole purpose of release mates is to guide people through that first three to five hours to make sure the decisions made are the right ones. Sometimes we, we do use distractions. You know, we have a budget to take everyone who leaves prison for a breakfast or a coffee. And, you know, interestingly, prison leavers, every prison leaver we've ever had, the first thing they do is they rant on about how bad the prison that they've left is. And they tell us how bad the food is, how bad the beds are, how bad the rat infestation is. And we're used to it. We just listen to it and it's the same story every day. But curiously, once they stop speaking, they ask us, and we're waiting for it, every single one of them asks us, did you say that you've been in prison? Yep. How have you stayed out? And that then opens the door for us right. to to delve into our lived experience. It just that sounds like such um uh like that idea of, you know, you're you're looking forward to a release date and you know, even ideas of popping bottles of champagne or, or you know, whatever it could be or fanfare. And then to just almost like a, the deflation you're talking about there, like I can only, you know, I can't even imagine, but like almost like an overwhelm of like, fuck, now I have to get on, like get yeah. on, I have to get into the life, as you say, like in that, that feeling of like the world has moved on and it doesn't really, well, it was the biggest day for me. The world doesn't really care that I like, wow, that's a hell of a swing from what you could have been expecting or hoping. Like, so it sounds like a, like a, an incredibly important moment to be there to to catch support and 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 guide people, I guess. Yeah, and it's you know, people need to experience that moment. We we don't we don't want to minimize the moment for them. It's an it's a part of someone's life. It's a part of someone's journey. Yeah. So we're not there to 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 stop the experience. But I suppose what we are cautiously doing is just keeping an eye on everything, knowing from our own mistakes of the past that this is a big day. This one day, the next few hours could determine the rest of somebody's life. I remember the day I was released from prison and I walked down the high street here in Preston and on my way to, I needed to get a phone voucher or something like that. I was determined not to drink. I was determined to embrace recovery. But I remember walking past the Weatherspoons and I took one foot to walk towards it. 
And from somewhere I carried on going. And then I came across another pub and I turned to walk into it. Not out of habit or nature, because I felt, I felt that I'd done a few months in prison. So I deserved a quick drink. I deserved to treat myself. My life would have been very, very, very different now if I'd done that. And that's what we try to hammer home to people leaving prison today. You know what? Give us the next three hours of your life. Let us let us get everything in place so you have a perfect start. And then you go and make your choices. So, yeah. Well, that's... Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Life is a fragile thing sometimes, or the direction of our life is a fragile thing sometimes. And you think of just taking one step further in a different direction and the, the implications that could have for our own lives and for anyone reflecting on their own life and, and some of the, the, the decisions we make at times. Um, Dave, just uh, aware of the, the time here and look, from all that you've shared with me, you know, this, this idea of what's like questions you're trying to answer through life, maybe not so much anymore, the way you used to be looking or searching or yearning for answers, but in the sense now of how can I be of service to people alluding to ideas like good life or life is also about these moments of awe, these connections to nature, a connection to a higher power, the idea of letting go and not trying to control so many things letting go of almost an obsession to material things as well. Uh, the importance of giving hope to the hopeless, um, you know, connection, human connection with each other, with our, with ourselves, being honest with ourselves is hugely important, being honest with other people um, being kind to ourselves, even within that honesty, we don't need to beat the crap out of ourselves for everything that we've done, have yeah, some yeah. understanding or compassion for ourselves and others as well. And just in all these really be and purpose obviously just from that moment you mentioned in the in the prison as well from all i think these really important things you've been sharing with me in terms of people exploring their own lives uh, just to ask you dave the question of what what is a good life for you sir peace and contentment yeah you know my 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 whole outlook on life has changed over the past few years and what what used to be a good life is quite possibly the worst life for me at the moment and the yeah. polar opposite to me is you know good life is seeing people seeing people who we've helped succeed in life seeing other people happy seeing you know seeing life go by peacefully and contentment and you that's enough for me that's enough yeah i think that's um so much of what you said, David, has resonated deeply with me. Um, I, I think what you said there is is really true from my experience of life anyway. I'm not trying to say it's a universal thing, but the, yeah, I, I think so. It's it's strange in a way. Sometimes difficult moments can be blessings in the long run um, in terms of what it can open up to open us up to. And, and David, thank you so much for all that you've shared with me here today. I, I I think what you're doing is absolutely inspiring and um, the focus from an external externally helping people is absolutely inspirational as well and I think you touched on something there towards people just come up to you because they know what you've that you've been through i i would i would dispute that and say i think you're also a pretty rare individual as well so thank you very much for your your time today as well no worries thank you so much for having us on mark
Cheers, David. <laughs>